Geopolitics and Empire is joined once again by the renowned Johann Galtung. His biography and body of work is absolutely immense, so for the sake of brevity, we'll say that he is the principal founder of the Discipline of Peace and Conflict Studies. Dr. Galtung and I recorded a popular interview a few years ago on his book, Fall of the U.S. Empire and Then What?, and you can see more of his work at the Galtung Institute and Transcend International. Now, readers have been writing in asking me to get uh, you on again to give us your thoughts on where the U.S. empire is today and where the world is going. Initially, you forecast 2025 as the year about which the U.S. empire would decline, and you've re revised that year to 2020. We've begun the year off with a bang, quite literally, seeing a number of internal contradictions of the empire. A deeply paralyzed U.S. political system, the assassination of Iran's uh, general, and a global debt economy on the verge of collapse. You recently wrote for Transcend Media. Uh, you listed signals such as the U.S. losing wars, the U.S. allies fighting their own, not U.S. wars, losing cloud at the U.N. So could you give us an update on where we are and where we're going? <laughs> an update of where we are right now. Well, I think um, if you look at what I said and what happened, that there is some kind of coincidence that somehow I have... Uh, had some kind of insight in what was going to happen. And you are now asking me to try to use that insight and have a look at what's happening now. Well, I'll tell you what I think is happening. And I may be too optimistic, but I have a feeling that we are heading for the continuation of something very positive, namely parallel, if you will, blocks, side by side, in a kind of passive but peaceful coexistence. And if you don't mind, I like to try to list them very quickly. So the first one is, of course, if we start with the Western Hemisphere, that um, you have in North America, the U.S. on top of Canada and Mexico. Mexican, Mexico, U.S., Canada, with U.S. on top. Now, how about South America, Central America? It's a different kind of thing, cup of tea, to put it mildly. In South America, we have this interesting phenomenon that um, there is really no country that is clearly on top. They call themselves ELAC, Estados Latinoamericanos Caribe, the states of Latin America and the Caribbean. Nobody clearly on top. Are there somebody aspiring? Well, some people have said that Cuba was inspiring, aspiring for that. I'm not so sure. Cuba, in general, Fidel Castro particularly, saw themselves as very special. And uh, it's interesting to see that the way in which Cuba has had some influence over other Latin American countries is through medical assistance. And if you now make a jump across the Atlantic, then it's impossible not to mention Islam, which, of course, starts... Not exactly at the White House, but at the Casablanca in um, Africa. And from there, Islam goes on and on and on and on and on and makes a jump from one island to the other to the Philippines. And um, an enormous belt in the middle of the world. So there you have one thing that in a sense is new. And being new, it's of course also being resisted. And it is surrounded by all kinds of prophecies and um, being itself prophetic and itself claiming that it will just expand and expand. What I can say is only this. We are in for something interesting. 
an Islamic period and the end of a Christian period, it seems. And that's when someone asks, have you had anything like that before? And the interesting thing is that we have. We have, and more particularly, from the very beginning of Islam, and the very beginning of Islam, you date back to the beginning of the 600s. In Mecca and Medina, what then happened was that Christianity somehow receded, but Christianity came back again, and it came back, let's just say, from the 1450s or from the 1350s. And in the 1350s, in the midst of the 14th century, we had the Black Pest and terrible calamities. What then happened was that Christianity came back, if you will, with a vengeance. And in 1495, 1495, Columbus, Cristóforo Colombo, Colón in Spanish, took in possession, nothing less than the whole Western Hemisphere, one might say, in the name of Christianity. Was he a deeply religious person? No. Deeply ambitious? Yes. No doubt about that. So here we've had something quite interesting. And what is interesting is to ask ourselves whether it could happen again that Islam now comes back and Islam does come back with a vengeance and it's happening now. This is a way out of it. Yes, there is a way out. And the way out is very interesting. It's a kind of synthesis of Christianity of Islam into a Chrislam. The two religions are so similar as many people have pointed out. The only difference being that Christ in Christianity has divine characters, whereas the prophet Muhammad in Islam is a prophet. That's it. Do you, do you see part of this this process you said uh, would be peaceful, or do you would you see it as as violent, like uh, what we're seeing, what what's happening with uh, Iran, uh, or as well with uh, Turkey's President Erdogan, who is uh, seemingly expanding in the Eastern Mediterranean and, and North Africa, uh, sending troops into Libya or threatening to send troops into Libya. So, uh, is this process as as you're discussing? Will it be peaceful or, or tend toward a, a violent? It could be tremendously violent. No doubt about that. No doubt about it. And that is why I spent a couple of sentences on trying to indicate a way out of Islam, a kind of synthesis as a possibility. And you know, I think we are living the beginning of the violence right now. So your question is very much to the point. Mm-hmm. And then where do where does uh, the heartland, uh, Eurasia, so what some call the dragon bear, uh, Russia and China, where do they fit in um, to all of this? Because you know, as the U.S. is is declining, it seems uh, China and Russia are are rising in many ways. We see uh, in Iraq that China, uh, I think I believe um, someone in Iraq, an important figure, recently said that China and Russia could replace. Uh, the Americans in terms of uh, security. So we're seeing a lot of them filling the vacuum uh, already. So where do you see their place? And we are seeing it this week that just passed by. See, the almost incredible that Trump seems to take U.S. with him. 
back to North America where it came from. In other words, he seems to say that we had done what we could, and he seems implicitly to be saying that if they don't like what we try to do, okay, they try to do better, or they will just suffer their own violence. And in the meantime, he disappears into North America. Or so it seems. We will see. We also see, of course, a um, Jewish upper hand in the U.S., so that if Israel is seen as threatened, the whole power, including the nuclear threat of the U.S., seems to be back to protect Israel. So there we have mighty forces, and I think the coming years will be dominated by them. And would you say the Middle East is the the most important focus, or are there other regions? I mean, you, you already mentioned Latin America, um, but we have Kashmir uh, and South China Sea and, and North Korea. I would say that's what you call Middle East, and I call West Asia and North America. <laughs> you say it was called Middle East because it was sort of uh, on the midway to the east, if you will. That's in from London. And uh, I don't think we have to necessarily use a London way, a London map of the world. So let us call it West Asia and North America, Wana. I think it's going to play a major role. And be aware of a very important country, Iran. Why is it so important? Well, there is something called the Fertile Crescent, you see. Very fertile, very green, as opposed to its competitor, Saudi Arabia. I think in this, the Fertile Crescent has the upper hand. It's so rich. And it comes there with Euphrates and Tigris as major sources of water. It comes there what is in the so-called Saudi Arabia. Sand and sand, and once again sand. Um, perhaps simultaneously we see these financial problems. You talk a lot about inequality, and you've mentioned how the U.S. dollar world reserve is giving way to a basket of currencies, and how... Um, the U.S. and perhaps world economy has become spe um, speculative, leading to this great inequality. And historically, this leads to social unrest and perhaps financial collapse. And so how do you see among all of this the, the economy? The U.S. is bankrupt. And the debt seems to be about 40 times of what the U.S. has of financial resources. I don't think it is a viable factor in the whole game. So much for the U.S. But when I now go to the others that you mentioned, and there were several of them, I think I would pay much attention to the concept of Eurasia that is coming up. And it is a concept that bridges from China to Western Europe. And you could even go on to Madeira, the Portuguese islands, and Azores, the Spanish islands. In other words, an enormous area is Eurasia. And um, there are those who try to give it a certain unity. And they come from China, via Russia. In other words, it's a Chinese-Russian construction. Going on and on and on into West Asia. Coming to Cardiff and easily jumping across the Atlantic. And there they have something dramatic. And that's the tidal water bringing them into Latin America at La Plata, uh, between, well, where Uruguay, Paraguay, Brazil, and Argentina come to get it in various ways. Now, in this 
what we now see is China coming. And China, with its unmistakable business talent, spreading into what we used to call Latin America. <laughs> it's a new world, mildly speaking. And very much is happening at the same time. If we go beyond then what you've just described, perhaps in the, in the coming years, some of these scenarios, if we go beyond, you've given lectures and written about scenarios for the year 2050. Uh, so that's in, what, 30 years? Um, and you've mentioned that the world in many ways would still look like 2020 in 2050, um, but that it would possibly be arranged more along a civilizational uh, regional system. Uh, something interesting, I think recently we saw Lukashenko, the president of Belarus and President Putin of Russia, agree to unify their parliaments, which I assume is the beginning formation of the Eurasian Union, like the European Uh, and you've mentioned in Latin America, we have Mercosur, UNASUR, or PROSUR, then the African Union, uh, and so on. You've said that the next evolution would, quote, be the last, that the super region is the world and the super civilization, a humanity not yet well defined, end quote. So how do you see then this shift or transition uh, toward this uh, super, super civilization? Will it be the true end of history? We jump across, we have Islam going all the way to the Philippines from Casablanca in Africa. We have in Africa various things. We have pre-colonial Africa, colonial Africa, and post-colonial Africa. And the post-colonial we usually divide into the French-dominated and the English-dominated part. But don't let us forget the pre-colonial one, the Ubuntu down there on the southeastern side of Africa. It has much vigor to it. Ubuntu peace, and it could spread to a kind of united Africa, of course divided into regions. There is much to expect from it. And pay attention. It's surrounded by four oceans, Mediterranean, Atlantic, Pacific, and the Antarctic. It's an island, and as such... It is not so easy for others to get to it. In other words, I expect very much to happen in Africa in the years to come. And it will attain its own identities. I say it is because it is too big to just have one African identity. 54 states, quite a lot. So much for Africa. Look at the world, the globe, the world map. It's an island surrounded by ocean. But what an island, what a size. Much will happen. So if you look at that one, we have, to my mind, a major center of future activity. And there is not much Russia in it. And there is, not, there is nothing U.S. But I have already said that I think the U.S. has had its heyday and is sort of disappearing, except for atomic weapons that they may once in a while brandish and threatened with. Just a question on, on, on the U.S., something I think we may have talked about previously, but you've mentioned the U.S. defaulting into some type of tyranny or, or dictatorship. We know many European empires have transitioned from empire into a second or third or fourth republic. How do you see, as the U.S. retreats uh, back home, a period of a civil war or, or calamity be, before order is restored? Are we in that period right now, or uh, it's, it's in the decade or two ahead? I see the U.S. as dividing in two parts. 
and the dividing line is the Mississippi. Look at the map. It cuts the country in two. And <laughs> it's interesting. Mississippi or Mississippi. Two ladies cutting the U.S. in two. An Atlantic side, which I think will be cultivating its relationship to Western Europe. And the Pacific side, which will cultivate its relationship to Eastern Asia. So, I don't see the U.S. as we used to see it, as divided between North and South. I see it as more deeply divided between East and West, and Mississippi is a dividing line. Now, this is, of course, going to be a process, but it will divide the U.S., and the U.S. will not act as a totality, but will be more interested in its Atlantic face and its Pacific face and cultivating relationships to both. It's my prediction. My prediction. And are there any other issues you'd like to mention? I mean, what are some pressing, perhaps, issues that you're thinking about or, or, or working on uh, right now that you'd like to share with us? Well, if you look at the whole world, I have mentioned that we are not going to get one humanity, one world, one state. And that what stands in the way are the civilizations. But at the same time, the state system is fizzling out. We have them. The 194 are members of the UN. There is Palestine wanting to join. And there are a couple of others on the waiting list. Bring it up till maybe 210 or something like that. But there is something quaint and old-fashioned about it. The regions are taking Obusha. We are getting into a world of regions. I'll mention them very quickly. There is a North American region. There is a Caribbean South American. In Africa, there is an Islamic region. Of course, I mentioned Africa. North Africa is in it. But it goes to the Philippines. There is something called South of Sahara. And in it, we have a post-colonial, colonial, and pre-colonial Africa. And we have South Africa. And I would predict that the richness of the Africans and the way in which Africa, as I said, in a sense is protected by the four oceans surrounding it, may make Africa the center of the world. And I notice with some interest that those who are making maps of the world, in those maps, Africa is getting more and more prominent. And I think correctly so. Now, there is more to the world than this. Uh, there is Russia, and there is India, and there is China. And um, maybe you should also very much pay attention to all of them. But I would be inclined to say that there is something taking place that was not so easily seen. And that is a Russian-Chinese penetration, if you will, of Europe. It starts to the east of China and jumps into Russia, taking with it Mongolia, which is quite big, and has a southern part, a central part, and a northern part. And then it goes on. And one should see very clearly how they are getting into Europe, starting with Eastern Europe, and how the trains are now rolling from east of Beijing to Cardiff at the border between Spain and Portugal. 
that's quite something. And these are trains loaded with all kinds of goods, and they're getting in return all kinds of goods from the West. In other words, there is a unification of the Eurasian continent going on. At the same time as the ships, these trains are unloaded, and I mentioned as unloading places, Cadiz and Sevilla. And on ship they go across the ocean, across the Atlantic. Yeah, just a, I guess a final question. You tweeted a nice graphic that uh, that said neither left wing nor right wing, but knowing we have the news becoming propaganda. You know, Reuters today reported that in the 1960s and 70s, British intelligence was funding Reuters. Um, and you have written about how news has become negative and created extreme negativity and polarization between the center and periphery, which we're seeing today. So could you just maybe comment on, you know, th this idea of neither left wing nor right wing, but knowing, uh, as well as the level of media propaganda that we are seeing today that are having a negative effect on, on people brain brainwashing and polarizing uh, people, you know, how do we deal with uh, the media today? I think those concepts are right and left are outmoded. You know, the right wings were standing for private enterprise and the left wing was standing for state companies and state enterprise. And I think it is so clear that today we have a both end that the private is using the state and the state is making use of the private. So in a sense, I think we have passed that dichotomy, that use of right and left. All right. Any any final thought to leave us with uh, as we go into 2020? We are moving into a world of regions, as I said. And those regions are increase, increasingly civilizational. But civilizations don't easily mix. And there will be a need for some kind of coordination or some kind of way of having them living peacefully together. And here I have a little message. We have it. It's functioning. That's what we have today. We have a multipolar passive coexistence, but peaceful, of regions that are essentially civilizational. North America, South America, Islam, Africa, with a post-colonial, several colonial, uh, recently colonial parts, dominated by France and England, and of course pre-colonial. We have this colossal Islam. We have in Europe something very interesting. The old dividing line, the Alps, and why not also add the Pyrenees and the Carpathians, because it goes all the way. Makes the distinction between Southern Europe and Northern Europe more important than ever. And we have in Northern Europe the people who were protesting, the Protestants. And they were protesting the rule from Rome. And Rome saw itself as the Salpina, this side, the Roman, the southern side of the Alps. And there was something transalpina. Well, that something took shape and became, by and large, Protestant Europe with a mix in Germany, for instance. And that mix has proven incredible constant. 
mix of the Protestant and the Catholic. So that when you enter the German town, you will be presented with the hours of the Protestant and the Catholic religious services, hand in hand, next to each other, peacefully. Well, that's not what it looked like in conjunction with this 30 years war, 1618 to 1648. But it turned out that way. So maybe one basic thing that's happening is that we are learning better how to make old contradictions somehow become less sharp, blunting them and feeding into a joint both and. And that is why I use those two words with a hyphen between them so often. But it is both and, 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 and. We live in a very rich world. And I think it is to our advantage to keep those regions, to have them more clearly attain civilizational character. And then launch on top of that a dialogue of civilizations. This is how we look at love and marriage. How do you look at it? And so on. There are so many questions to be asked. There are so many things to be discussed. And there are so many both ands that will come up in the future. All right, we'll leave it there. You've given us so much to, to digest. Uh, I urge people to go get some of Dr. Galtung's books, uh, some of the very many, many books translated into, I think, over 30 languages, and visit the many websites such as the Galtung Institute, and you can subscribe to his weekly newsletter that's free, the Transcend Media Service. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Dr. Galtung. Thank you so much indeed. Goodbye for now. Goodbye. I have a feeling we'll meet again. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.